the score, and you're listening to Inside Your Head. And I never asked to grow up, so please don't make me do it. I wasn't meant to grow up, don't think I'll make it through it. Things have been going south since I hit puberty. It looks like growing up is just too much for me. Welcome to Inside Your Head. This is Nasty Neil, and I'm joined by Jerry Williams, director of Smiter, Spider Mites of Jesus, the Dirt Woman documentary. It's very cool to have you here. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Just got back from Palm Springs, where we had a great showing of the movie out there. Awesome. Was that your first time seeing it with an audience, or have you uh, done festivals before that one? Oh, yeah. No, that was not the first time. Actually, uh, the first time was the Virginia Film Festival in Charlottesville last November, and then we went to Florida for the Florida Film Festival, and then San Francisco for SF Doc Fest, and this one, and then we're going to Atlanta next weekend. So I've uh, had a few chances to see how it goes over. Oh, oh nice. It's old hat by now. I'm just kidding. But, uh, oh, no, it's it, always fun because it's, it's a different audience every time, and it's just always in- interesting to see what they react to because it's, you know, it's kind of Richmond-centric, but there's a lot in of it that obviously is universal. Yeah, that's interesting because, like you said, uh, when I was watching the documentary, it seemed everyone in Richmond knew who he was. And so when you do play it with an audience who aren't familiar with uh, the Dirt Woman before they see it, uh, is it a similar experience? How is it different? Well, it, well, we showed it. We, I, I didn't mention one festival, the Richmond International Film Festival, which, of course, was the hometown screening at a big the Bird Theater, which is a grand old 1928, you know, the classic theaters with the Wallace organ and all that. That was packed, and of course they went insane. There were little things, like there was a shot, I doubt you remember it, but there's an aerial shot down Gray Street and Lum's restaurants in the foreground. Well, the audience went crazy because that was quite a hangout back in the day. But uh, most of the stuff is pretty universal. I mean, as you saw it, there's, you know, a lot of it's the family and Dirt Woman himself and the, the humorous comments they make. And those things have translated, I mean, just this last screening in Palm Springs, I always tell everybody, don't be afraid to laugh. This is you know, there's a lot of humor here because some people are a little concerned because Donnie was mentally challenged, but they just open up and start to enjoy it. And he would, he would, he, he was in on the joke all the time. It wasn't like people were making fun of him. Uh, mm-hmm. So the audiences overall have, have laughed a lot. Now I'm, you saw it. So obviously you didn't have an audience to boost up that laughter. Did you get some, some cackles while you were watching? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's very enjoyable. It's a, you know, it's a heartfelt and, um, but it's very, uh, it's a very funny movie, and like you said, it's not like you're poking fun at poking fun at him. Uh, he he's right, having right. fun while he's talking, which makes right, it right. enjoyable. Well, that I, was I one of the for, things that I was go, go ahead. Go on, I, was, I was just going to say one of the things I was challenged with uh, up front when I announced that I was going to start doing this. I had some friends, close friends of his, who said, "Well, you know, uh, please don't just make fun of him. Please show the heart." felt side of him you know because he was outrageous he was over the top he was a you know 350 pound drag queen who had all kind of as you saw all kind of things in town from blowjobs in back alleys to saving people's lives um so they charged me with you know make sure you show both sides of donnie so people can see the warm side and so that was something that obviously was a goal from the beginning and i think that came through well you said it came it came through pretty well even though you still get the comedy Oh yeah, def- it definitely does. Um, and you can see, you know, not only uh, the heartfelt uh, with him, but uh, everyone talking about him uh, really has uh, has joy when they talk about Donnie. Right, right, right. So uh, uh, for you, people you, who aren't familiar, go on. I just want to yeah, say, for people I, not familiar, I guess we should say, what? Who is the spy, Who is the Dirt Woman? 
And uh, what yeah, is well, it? Yeah, and, and of course, what the first question that people always ask is, or often ask, and you know because you saw the movie, is mm-hmm. Spider Mice of Jesus. What does that have <laughs> to do with anything? Uh-huh. And uh, the story, obviously, as you know, is when he was a little baby, he had spinal meningitis, but his parents could not pronounce that, so they called it Spider Mice of Jesus. That was just their way of saying it. And as you saw in the document, and every time I tell that to somebody, and of course this was on the, this is a podcast so you can hear it, I get a laugh. You know, it's just, it's such an amazing story. And um, uh, the, the um, only once that somebody said, Jesus, what are you, is this sacrilegious? No, 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 no. It's just the way they said the word. Uh, but Donnie was born mentally challenged. He started walking the streets in his sister's dresses at age 13. Uh, he got, the first time he got, well, one of the times he got, one of the many times he got arrested by the police. One time he defecated in the back of the police car and they called him dirty. You're a dirty woman. And that name dirt woman just stuck for the rest of his life. Um, he had an amazing checkered career, if you want to call it that. When he died, he was actually on the front page of Richmond's newspaper, top of the fold. And there was an NPR story, but he did many things. Um, he was, I don't know if you recall Governor uh, Douglas Wilder was the first black governor in the United States. He crashed the inauguration as a press member uh, in his sweatpants and a T-shirt, and that was taken to court, uh, caused a big uh, first press, uh, first uh, rights amendment issue. He also ran for mayor. Um, he was mud wrestling several times in these outrageous events. There was an event called Hamaganza, which raised hams for the hamless every year at Christmas, and he was the kind of the center of that he raised thousands of dollars or he helped raise it for that um he had a pretty amazing career in all the different things that he did um through oh and one other thing that people stick on if you know who guar is did you know who guar is before the oh the, yeah uh, yeah 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 anybody hip does so i guess you're hip neil um <laughs> guar the, the crazy band which is a twin based band he was actually in a music video for them or a video for them where mm-hmm. they put a big um old bathroom rug sprayed it brown put rice krispies in it and that was supposed to be the crabs from the crab shack and then he had all the people coming in literally eating the crabs out of his crotch so he's had a pretty you know crazy career of different things that he's done throughout the years and he's well you know he sold flowers on the street he peeled garlic in front of an italian restaurant he was uh you know he was always willing to make money and do what it did to keep going buy his new dresses and wigs (laughs) yeah so uh, I want to understand though the the documentary started in 1999. Uh, when did you get involved? Uh, well, in 1999, um, a friend of mine, Dave Park, who's a local uh, director of photography, and I were having lunch on a shoot, and I don't remember it was 1999, but somehow a dirt woman came up. I don't know if we saw him walking down the street or somebody told a story, but I thought you know that would be an interesting documentary. So. I got together with Liz Rockmorton and some other people, and we put together the big party that you saw in the video, the 50th birthday party, where it tells an outrageous story about the truck stop. Um, and we had a few interviews and some drag queens and some other performances. And then uh, spent a couple of days, went to a bingo game with him and went with him buying clothes and you know, dresses and trying on things. And then we all got busy making a living. And we stopped for 15 years. And then in 2017, there's a, record, a reporter recently retired here named Mark Holmberg, who was, had been a champion of Donnie's since the 80s. He used to write for the newspaper, and then he went on to the CBS affiliate. And I was kind of his go-to queer. Whenever he had a question about anything gay in Richmond, he would always call me for a soundbite. 
because I knew he knew I'd do it. I was out obviously, and I was on TV for a year, so I knew how to do sound bites. And uh, he called me to do a story on Donnie having uh, um, congestive heart failure. And I thought, you know, I'm coasting into retirement. I'm, I've got more time on my hands now. Why don't I pick this thing back up again? And so I just kind of single-handedly started doing it, called in lots of favors. Uh, I shot the whole thing for under $4,000, which kind of blows people's mind because I interviewed 70 people. But I had this website in Richmond called Tales from the Grips which was news and dirt of Richmond's production community. It ran for almost 20 years from 1998 to 2017. And it was the source for anything in town. You know, whether somebody bought a new camera, somebody's having auditions, somebody won an award, somebody's looking for a location, anything about the community. And so a lot of people literally got their jobs from that site and got lots of other connections. And so I started in calling out all my favors, you know, saying, hey, will you give me a day of your time and we'll schedule interviews or will you do the music or will you do the graphics? So pretty much the whole thing was a labor of love by everybody in town who really cherished Donnie. Mm -hmm. Now, like, uh, now you obviously knew who he was before you started doing the documentary, but like, uh, were you were you friends with him? Were you friendly with him? Did you know him very well? Uh, I knew him for years. I, I first remember when I came to Virginia Commonwealth University, VCU, it was actually RPI, and I can remember him walking around the campus, the edges of the campus, in maybe a wig, not usually in drag, but sometimes a wig, sometimes with a young man with him. And he was a big guy, and he was never afraid to uh, to talk to anybody. He was like, oh, honey, you so cute. Oh, I want to take you home, and stuff like that, which would, of course, terrorize these little students down at VCU, okay. myself included. I was still in the closet, obviously. So I remember him and remember being terrorized by this strange character, and then the 70s came around and the disco scene and he started appearing on the scene. About that same time, I started being on the CBS affiliate reviewing movies. So he knew who I was because he watched the station and I would see him at the bars and stuff. And I had friends like Ray Bentley who ran one of these clubs, two of these clubs actually. And so we became closer and we got to know each other. I never spent a lot of time with Donnie, but knew him well, you know, knew him regularly, talked to him every year on his birthday. He always looked forward to that. So he was a friend, but not a close friend. Yeah. Now, how, you, you yourself personally said, that, you know, you were in the closet at that time and you've been openly gay for a while. Uh, when you came out, was um, was there any problems working in the in TV and stuff? You know, it's funny. I've never had problems being out. I think part of it was because I was unapologetic about it. You know, I never had a problem with it. So nobody else did. I actually, ironically, in that same time was working for Richmond schools producing video and that was never an issue. Uh, I mean, I worked with children, obviously not in any kind of private location or anything, but I worked with children on video shoots and, uh, I have a daughter myself. So it was, it's never been an issue. I've been out since 76 and, uh, it's never been an issue with anybody that I'm aware of. If it has, they haven't told me about it. <laughs> All right. Is, is Richmond itself, uh, like a liberal or it, in my mind it isn't, but, but I don't know from the documentary. Oh, honey, honey, it's the capital of the Confederacy. Right, right. <laughs> so fill in the blank. No, it's kind of interesting. And as you saw, we set that up at the beginning of the movie. It's, it's definitely a, you know, a, a hardcore home of the South. It mm -hmm. was the capital of the Confederacy. Monument Avenue, which is a famous street is lined with Robert E. Lee and Stonewall Jackson and a number of other Confederates. And of course that's all being discussed now with that whole trend. Mm -hmm. But, um, as we discussed in the documentary, there's always been this under, this counterculture here. Some of it, I think, has to do, a lot of it, 
from Virginia Commonwealth University, which has got a great art school and all, you know, music and painting and theater and all that. So that, I think that kind of helped make that happen because there were so many artists here and a lot of them stayed here and are still here. So it's always had a good underground scene, a good music scene, a good art scene. The gay scene has been interesting. There's still a gay scene. There's always been a gay scene. It's never been very open. We've had gay pride parades. We're having, I think, pride is this weekend. Um, but there's never been much of a bar scene. There's three or four bars. It's not really a gay mecca. I was just in, like I said, Palm Springs for the festival. And, well, if you've ever been there, that is about 50% gay. So <laughs> uh -huh. very different world. Uh, but, no, I've never had an issue with it. And even though Richmond can be considered conservative and Southern, it's I think there's a thing about Southerners with kind of respecting their own. You know, it's kind of like, you know, we don't put our eccentrics in the closet or in, in the, we put them out on the front porch so everybody can celebrate it. And I think that was with Donnie as well. It's that idea of, you know, oh, bless his heart, which is the Southern way of saying, well, they're a mess. But, uh, you know, oh, he's so sweet, bless his heart, which is a nice way of saying he's a mess, but he's sweet. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, that was another thing I liked about the documentary. It showed, you know, his uh, his family is very accepting and, uh, you know, even said like you could normally see them sitting out on like the front step. And it's like two, you know, older Southern people and and then like their their son in a dress and like uh, they didn't have any problem with him. I think you're being politically correct, because the exact quote in the documentary was two old rednecks sitting out on the front <laughs> porch. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, yeah, yeah, I'm trying yeah. not to say redneck, and I'm trying to be uh, nicer. I'm I'm from well, the they, northeast. I'm from I'm from Cape Cod. I'm near uh, oh, Provincetown, which actually is where John Waters lives. So, uh, right, uh, right. much much more liberal here, and no one really cares oh, yeah. about uh you know what people are into. Well, and he's actually seen the movie. You actually, obviously, you've seen it, so you know that yeah. there's a, a a part about it. He and I don't want to give it away can be a spoiler, but Donnie Dirt Woman often fancied himself as divine or divine, as he would say, he had some speech issues and um, he always wanted to be divine. And um, he actually did go up and meet divine at uh, women behind bars in New York. And that story's in the doc, which you saw. And I wanted John waters to come down and, you know, and interview him because John said every time he's gone anywhere and he says, Richmond people say, Oh, dirt woman, you know, dirt woman. <laughs> and as you saw in the doc, there's several times when he actually met dirt woman uh, at, when he was speaking at events, not like for socially. Yeah, And I tried to get him and I tried to get him and I wanted to get him down to do an interview. And um, I, I didn't want to call his agent because I figured as soon as I do that, you know, they're going to they're gonna see dollar marks, the ching, the ching, you know, John Waters. And so I said, I'll find a way. And I happened to be, this was months later at a gallery opening here at a gallery. And uh, I met this woman who was coming through to go work in a new job. And we were chatting, where are you from? Baltimore. And I sidled up to her and I said, do you by any chance? Turns out she knew John's <laughs> sister. Um, so I sent the, you saw the video in the documentary yeah. of Donnie and his brother and sister saying, come see me. And that was pretty <laughs> hilarious with Deborah uh -huh. with her two dogs on her chest. And I sent that to him. I sent him a 1993 interview that I did when I was on CBS uh, for polyester and a couple other things that I'd love to bring you down. I'll fly you down. I'll come get you, whatever. I just 15 minutes with Donnie would be so great. And I got a lovely call from his assistant about two days later saying, Mr. Waters no longer does documentaries. I guess, I don't know. I assume he's probably been, gets asked a lot. Anytime there's anything twisted, he, he gets asked. Um, <laughs> right. But he was very nice. I said, well, well, you think he'll do a letter? And so he sent the postcard, which again is in the documentary. I don't want to say any more than that. Yeah, but yeah. he's been very supportive ever since then. He's seen it. 
He said some great things about it, which I can't quote because he doesn't want me to quote him. But uh, he's been very supportive, which is very nice because he understands I'm a, you know, a, well, I'm not a burgeoning filmmaker. I'm a retiring filmmaker. But he understands my plight and appreciated Dirt Woman and enjoyed the movie. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad I'm because I was going to ask if he ever if he got to see it. And I'm glad he did. And it's a positive story. I know uh, from experience, he there is a lot of because uh, I've seen him in person at, at events. Uh, a couple times and there's a lot of stuff but you know he doesn't want anything filmed he'll take pictures and stuff but you and no like any type even if just a little short video with your phone like uh there's a lot of privacy stuff uh with him which i i respect yeah and and it is plus you know he's got that reputation of such crazy movies and stuff people just naturally assume he wants everything to be wild and crazy and you know he's (laughs) he's gotta be a human being like the rest of us yeah exactly yeah, my my uh, friend Annabelle used to always want me to dress as divine. Uh, it never happened. As it, well, it never happened as of yet, but uh, maybe yeah, well, it will. So. Not too late. All right, I've lost a lot of weight since then, though, so uh, it probably would be a different divine. Well, that's why they make fat suits in, in, LA, <laughs> in L.A. now, you know. That's very true. That's very true. Yeah. So uh, how long did it take? I know you guys started in 1999, but w- when you got back into it, how long did it take to, to finish the documentary? It was about two years. I interviewed 70 people. And needless to say, some of them you know, would, would be a little challenged to get scheduled. And uh, sometimes I had to spend a while just trying to find people. And then every photograph, as you, as you know, you've seen it. There's some old footage, film footage, actual literally film footage from the 70s and video footage from the 80s and lots of photographs. And one of the biggest challenges, of course, was in the 70s and 80s. Before cell phones, if you wanted a picture, you had to have a camera, you had to take a picture, you had to have it developed and printed. Uh-huh. So there wasn't a lot of information. So I would spend there a couple of people. Billy Pickett was a local um, photographer who chronicled that period and a couple other people. But it would literally take me anywhere from a couple of weeks to several months to track down photos and videos. So some of the stuff was just trying to get permission to, you know, to use this photo or trying to get this person to do an interview. And some people said, no, I won't do an interview. And that was fine. But, uh, yeah, I, I did spend about two years putting the whole thing together and I edited it myself. So that made it a little easier because I could work on it as I was going. Yeah. Did you try to interview any of the, the police that like, uh, you had run-ins with them or, or would that have been too long ago? Well, no, there are two in the dock. Uh, if you right. may remember, one of them actually is, in, is a, at oh, a yeah. museum now, I do remember security that. guard. Yeah. And then the other one was at the Capitol Police. He was head of Capitol Police when the whole thing went down with the, Governor Wilder. And uh-huh. they both uh, – it was interesting because the police – somebody told me – it was actually a friend, Bill Nicholson, who knew Donnie, who was out in Palm Springs during the Q&A. And somebody asked, well, why didn't the police arrest him more often if he was getting into all this trouble? And Bill said, well, the police told him – he caused more trouble in jail than he did when he was out of jail. Because <laughs> as you saw in the documentary, he often liked to, uh, you know, give the straight guys blowjobs in jail. Um, uh-huh. So um, I forgot where I was going with that. But anyway, he, he didn't go in jail as much as he did. But the, the police would say sometimes he would have his ear to the ground. He was on the street. And as, as shown in the documentary, there are several times when he would give them a tip that helped lead to a conviction. So, uh, they kind of appreciated him. They understood him, and, and he also would sometimes terrorize the rookies and you know try to come on to them and before they knew mm-hmm. who he was. Uh, so they kind of, I think, viewed him with amused 
um, you know, with amusement and understood where he was coming from. Now, the two cops who were supposedly in the car when he took the dump, one of those cops was dead and the other one just refused to speak to me. I mm. found his email number and his, you know, and he wouldn't talk to me on the phone. And maybe he was just so, maybe he's still traumatized I don't know, <laughs> sure. by Donnie's shitting in the car, but uh, he would not do it. So I did get these other two, you know, newer, <clears throat> I'm sorry, three, actually three other police officers to tell stories. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of dark stuff that happens, uh, that happened to Donnie. And he talks about it, you know, uh, being attacked by people and, and uh, being raped and everything. But he, oh, um, yeah. Yeah. he doesn't seem, didn't seem to let it, um, you know, really ruin him. He seems uh, he, very pot. He seemed like a very positive guy. He was, I think he, overall, I think it's interesting because the kind of, you know, the spinal meningitis affected his brain. And again, this was discussed mm-hmm. in the doc. Uh, it affected him in an unusual way in that he still, I mean, he was, he was mentally challenged for sure. He was illiterate, but he still was very street smart. He wasn't stupid. Yeah, he yeah. just had certain areas where he was slow, but other areas he was right on the ball. I mean, he could remember things. He remembered people's phone numbers. He could not write, but he could remember your phone number and call you 40 times a day once he got on, you know, you got into his track. Um, but he, uh, yeah, he, you know, he was, he scrapped. He was struggling his whole life, but he always had a positive attitude. And, you know, up until even when he was, was bedridden, he was in bed for at least the last year of his life. Um, he would lie in bed and, um, his, when he have a, would have an accident because he was incontinent because of his uh, earlier illnesses, uh, his sister or his other caretakers would come in, clean him up, and then cover him back up, and he just stayed in bed on the phone for a year. And um, he would get out occasionally to go to the emergency room. They would he would call for some illness. Um, and then when we did have our big toast, not a roast, but a toast for Donnie, when I kicked off the documentary in 2017, we had to get him there, and that was the challenge because the medical transport people will not transport somebody if they're not going to a medical thing or something mm-hmm. important. And when I said, well, we're throwing a big drag party for them. They're like, no, nah, sorry, <laughs> we can't do that. So I had to rent a special van and it took us, it was a challenge getting him into the van, getting him into his scooter and then into the van. And that was the last time he actually was out in public to see people. After that, he was just in the hospital. Yeah. Did he, did he get to see any of the, the documentary? Sadly, he did not. Uh, it was none of it was done before he died, and I, of course, I didn't know that he was going to die when he did. Right. Uh, as you heard in the doc, I was re- once he started to get sick, I started to record all my phone calls with him just because I thought it would be good to have that. And um, you can hear in there when actually he got to the point where he had lost a lot of his facilities. And then I have that phone call the night before he died. I was I couldn't come over that night. I was busy with something. I think I had guests over. And you can, I would assume, let me ask you, I think you could probably tell by the way I said goodbye that I was yeah. very concerned. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was very hard at that point. And obviously there was nothing I could do the next morning. I got two phone calls from his sister and from Tammy, uh, to tell me. And obviously that's where it went forward. But, uh, somebody did ask me, said, well, you, you better hurry and finish this before he dies. And I was like, actually it's fine if he dies because then we'll get to see the outpouring of support and love that he had. And that actually worked out very well. I would love to have for him to have seen it. I'm sure he would have loved it because he loved attention of all kinds, bad or good. But uh, in a way this was better because we got to see the outpouring, you know, the front page of the newspaper. And this is a very traditional conservative newspaper. NPR did a national story. He was covered by all all the local press as well. But uh, to see that kind of love and outpouring 
uh, was very gratifying, and, and he would have obviously loved to see that too. Yeah. Now, did his uh, his family get to see the movie? Yes, uh, some of them have. Some of them haven't made it. Uh, I had a big private event for the crew and the people that were in the documentary back last year, and a few of them came to that. And then I invited them to the big premiere when we had it at the Richmond Film Festival, and two of them came, but some of them still haven't seen it, and um, I don't know why. Uh, I'm sure once it goes streaming and you know on demand and uh, on DVD, they'll probably get a copy of it. Yeah. Well. Did they have any input? I mean, uh, what did they think of it? Uh, they they loved it. Well, of course, mm-hmm. I mean, it's so interesting because that phenomenon way back with uh, what Honey Boo Boo is that her name? Honey Boo Boo, the little girl <laughs> on TV. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the uh, the duck hunters, whatever they were called. Um, <laughs> yeah. You see a lot of these very uh, working class, blue collar people on TV being themselves and. They're proud of it. They're glad to be. They're, they're glad to be famous. And I think even though you know they showed up, the one brother showed up. Uh, Jimmy showed up in a uh, a denim vest, no shirt for his interview. And I was like, okay, that's that's <laughs> the way he wants to do it. Um, so I, I mean, they were thrilled. I think to see themselves on TV or on the on the big screen, and to see that the support for Donnie. And as you saw, there's really no, nothing negative. They all loved him and supported him, even though um, they all had their own personal quirks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Richmond uh, Film Festival. What, what was that experience like? You know, because I assume it's you know mostly people who who know Donnie or knew right, of right. Uh, and it's actually the Richmond International Film Festival. I'm uh, sorry. It's, it's interesting. I, that's fine. I just wanted to make sure Heather knew that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've actually been involved with that festival since its beginning. This was, I think, the eighth or ninth year uh, as a lead MC for it. And this year I didn't MC it because I had my movie in it. Uh, we have it at the Bird. Like I mentioned, this is a big old grand old theater, beautiful, you know, like most cities have one of those. And the, it was packed. The place was insane. Um, actually, I had two people tell me they drove by and saw the line and just went home. They didn't even want to deal with it. <laughs> there was room. The theater holds 1,300. And it wasn't that full. But there was a great crowd. They were enthusiastic from beginning to end. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, I, I mentioned that I tell people that it's a comedy. Some of the stuff at the very end, some of those recordings when Donnie was slipping, Still got a few laughs, and I'm like, no, 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 this isn't the funny stuff. This is the sad stuff, people. Right, but they were right. so geared at that point for just having a great time that they just continued to enjoy it. But no, the the response has been crazy. Uh, Mark Holmberg, who came back from Wilmington, North Carolina, where he lives now, he came back and did a great story on the TV station that night about it and interviewed people. Uh, so yeah, it was very gratifying. It was wonderful. And I am planning, uh, I'm doing the festival circuit. I've got one more, like I mentioned, in Atlanta this weekend. And I'm not sure when this podcast will air, but that's the last weekend in September. And then my plan is to play it locally at the at Movie Land, which is a local chain here at Bowtie Cinemas. Uh, and they've already said they'll play it. Play it here as long as it'll sell tickets, which who knows, could be a several weeks. Uh, and then get it streaming and get it uh, DVDs. That's probably it. I don't really expect a theatrical release. It, you never know. It could hit some major cities like New York and um, places it might play in D.C. where Elliot in the Morning, which is the big radio show there, uh, he was a big fan of Donnie. He used to use Donnie on the air a lot. So it might play one or two places theatrically, but it will definitely, within the next couple of months, be streaming. Yeah. Now, I saw some of the festivals, like the one you said coming up this weekend, out on film, and it was at uh, Cinema Diverse in uh, Palm Springs. Um, so some of them right. are, are specifically, you know, uh, LGBTQ uh, film festivals, and, and some of them aren't. Um, 
How did you go about like which ones you wanted to uh, uh, try to get into? Oh, I was a slut. I picked 45 festivals. <laughs> Anything that would take me. I went from all the big ones from Sundance all the way down to, you know, some other ones. I, some of them I picked simply because of the cities I'd never been to, like Santa Fe. I thought, it would be sure. fun to go to Santa Fe. Um, interestingly, I had better luck. Like you mentioned, these last two were definitely Q festivals. The first four were not. They were generic, just general festival festivals. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of gratifying to see that people could appreciate this from not, not from that perspective. I mean, obviously, yeah. it's a gay subject. But that was kind of cool that, that that happened. And I think it was more of a challenge to the end of the probably at least half of them were gay festivals. And I think the reason it didn't get in a lot of them is because it's not the typically politically correct mm-hmm. subject matter of so many of those. And I've seen that at the festivals. They want uplifting, positive PC stories. And even though this is ultimately positive and uplifting, I mean, he was on the streets at 13. He was out in the 70s when ma- many people weren't. You know, he was he was a bit of a mess, but he was still, ultimately he triumphed. And... um <clears throat> So it is a positive gay story, but it's got, you know, it's got some, a lot of outrageousness in it. And I think yeah. a lot of gay festivals just didn't want to go there. And you don't shy away from that. I talked a lot about, you know, showing um, the positive sides and that he had a lot of heart right. and people liked him. But you also don't shy away fr- from a lot of that, that he was, uh, you know, selling himself on the street since a, since a young age. Oh, yeah. And offering the, the one story that when I got the story, when I talked to the friend of mine who, who told the story in the movie, uh, about him co- collecting bottles when he was 13, and then he offered to give him a blowjob after the bottles. I was like, yeah. okay. So, yeah, the, I mean, you know, there's stories. I'm, he had uh, problems with, with um, his bowels a lot, and I mm-hmm. only put one of those stories in. There were a lot more, believe me. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of outrageous and disgusting stuff. The, the whole Guar thing is pretty crazy. Uh, yeah. But ultimately, you know, any, I say anybody who appreciates the John Waters film, will be able to appreciate this because it's got that same kind of twisted, but fun mentality to it. Yeah. And real. And he's, I was just going to say, and he's a real, he was the real deal. Yes. He was not a character. Mm-hmm. Was there anyone who, who, um, when you're putting this together, did anyone say, you know, don't put some of that stuff in? Cause I think you have to, I mean, for, for the movie yeah, to really well, work, there was, you have to show all sides. Well, there were a couple of things. There was a comment that N-word was used by his brother at one point, and he said, and you can't tell him apart unless you cut him or kill him. And I took that out. There was a whole segment where Donnie was playing bingo, and he talked about Jews. And it was, a, it was this kind of benign, ignorant racism. It wasn't a real racism, but he was saying, like, you know, they don't, they don't believe in Jesus, and they don't celebrate Christmas, and they really like black people, and they like money, and... I put it in at first because I said it shows kind of the naive ignorance that he has and it kind of shows, informs him, but I put it in and then I showed it to some people and I took it out and then I showed it to some people and I put it back in. It went in and out about three times uh, and it came out. So there were some things even more. And like I said, there were more shit stories that were really disgusting. So I took some of that. I had to take some of that out just because that got in the way of appreciating the whole story. You know, if you get too hung up on this one thing, you don't stop and look at the whole picture. So yeah, there were sure. a couple of things like that that I did have, and it was it started out over two hours, and I had to cut it to ninety minutes. So some of the stories that I wanted to tell, I just didn't have time for. Yeah, well, that's a couple things there. When you you want to tell a story ninety minutes, so if you do fixate on just a couple things, it seems that's his whole life, and that could take away from what you you right, know the right. the story. Uh, but how how about editing it down to you know around ninety minutes? 
Uh, what's that process like? Especially when it's your own stuff, I would assume that that's hard to do. Oh, it was painful. It was terrible. Well, you know, I'm, I make my living, actually. I am a video producer. I do mostly yeah. corporate industrial types of video. So I've been doing that since the 70s. So I know how to, to you know, to cut my own work, I think, to some extent. And have clients mm-hmm. do that, too. I don't know. It was just it was just painful. But I kept saying, you know, this could go, this could go. And I would look at it and then I would look at it again and say, you know, this this isn't as strong as this. It was just, a, you know, a matter of just trying to use my own judgment. And once in a while, I would show it to somebody and get their opinion um, just to help and to ask them about specific pieces. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it was, a, it was a grueling process, but I had to do it. And, of course, there's always the, the hope that I can always do a, a, a director's cut on DVD mm-hmm. and people can see or hear what, what, what did go away. Yeah, they can yeah, stand so. it. <laughs> so uh, how, many, how many hours of footage did you have? I have never done the math. You know, I should do 72 uh-huh. interviews and they were each about 15 minutes. So if you, whatever, I could ask Google here quickly, what is four into 72? <laughs> um, but that would, I can't do math, but um, that's roughly, okay, Google, what is 72 divided by four? The answer is 18. 18. So, well, that's a lot more than 18 hours because there was footage of events and other stuff. So there was probably 30 to 40 hours total of footage that, uh, you know, that I had to call down to 90 minutes. Yeah, and that, uh, another thing because you keep mentioning about you know seventy people that really adds to the to the documentary because you're getting voices from so many different people. Right, right, and that was that was you know some of them had one story as you saw, some of them only had one line, um, and some of them just had one great story like the guy about uh, the thirteen year old you know off him a blowjob that was his only scene in the movie so i had to do some of that just to get all the different angles the attorney who handled the case with the governor wilder uh that was pretty much all he talked about so that's one of the reasons i had to go to so many different places just to get all the stories and of course it's one of those things where anytime in richmond i tell people i was doing this they say oh well the time i met donnie everybody had a story and mm-hmm. obviously i had to say oh well, that's a great story thanks for sharing as opposed to no i don't want that on camera um, yeah. so it, it went both ways. You know, sometimes I would literally run into a story that was hilarious and I said, well, this has got to be in there. So I would set up another interview. Yeah. Yeah. And that, uh, not only is it entertaining and everything, but it adds to the documentary because it gives the idea that this, this is a person that touched so many different people or so many different people knew who he was right, since right. there are so many different faces right. and uh, voices in it. And so many, and from all over the place, I mean, from yeah. the, you know, the very blue collar, friends of his fa- friends and family to publishers and writers and intellectuals. So it did have, which is kind of cool. I mean, you do see this wide variety of people who, who embraced Donnie one way or the other. Mm-hmm. I saw that it uh, was accepted to a, to a um, festival in South Africa. Yes. In Burden. Yeah. And, uh, uh, Durban. Yes, it was. And they have a great logo. It's a, uh, it's a rhinoceros with high heels on it. It's pretty funny. <laughs> Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to go to that one. It conflicts right. with one of the other festivals, and it's also a little bit far away. But uh, yeah. it'll be interesting to see how they react to something like this. And I've actually been told I was I was contacted by a festival in Switzerland because they found they'd read one of the reviews online and they saw the trailer and said, "We think we might want to show this." And I've been told by some some people that Europeans, especially maybe Germans, uh, really are fascinated by some of the you know the countercultural and some of the unusual people that come out of America. And so it could end up at some, you know, at some other festivals like that, but uh, that's still to be seen. 
Very cool. Yeah, I I have a not to plug myself, but I have a I have a short documentary about myself that's been in fe- that's in festivals right now. It's four minutes, much smaller. Right. But uh, it, it it played in Germany, and I was very excited about that. Did you go? No, unfortunately, I cannot go. But uh, I would oh, I would have okay. liked to go. Yeah. Uh, for for yeah. me personally, it was very weird to watch it w- with a group of people, especially the first time. So the first time you watched it with an audience, what was that experience like? Well, that was the friends and family audience, um, mm-hmm. and of course they loved it. They were going insane because they all knew Donnie. A lot of them were were in the documentary. Uh, <clears throat> it was just incredible. Uh, the biggest surprise happened then, and that's why I prefaced the screenings every time now, was how much laughter there was. I mean, I knew there were two or three dead-on spots that were going to, like the one, and I don't want to give it away, but the one where the brother is showing the family members, and he calls them a pain in the ass, and he calls them extra pain <laughs> in the ass. And he yeah. has a little break. Remember that when I heard, when he was doing that, I'm like, Oh, I couldn't have written that. I mean, that was a perfect tree, you know, tree line joke. Um, and a couple of other places where I thought, well, this will get a laugh. But when we sat down and every time I've shown it to an audience, there's laughter, non not nonstop, but a lot more. I mean, 30, 40 times there's, you know, strong laughter. And I never expected it to be that comedy. You know, I thought it was just, I didn't get that. Yeah. Yeah. Who did the uh, animation? There's you know, a little bit of animations uh, in the movie, which I really yeah, dug. Uh, who did that? Yeah, thank you. Those are everybody really likes those. Uh, it's a local, prominent local artist named Matt Lively. He's been in town for a number of years, and actually, he and I met a few years back at when he was getting an award. And I said, "Hey, you congratulations!" He said, "Oh, I'll read your movie reviews because my website, tvjerry.com, where I did Tales from the Grips, also has had movie reviews on it for 20 years, still does." And he said, I really, I enjoy reading your movie reviews. I said, oh, well, let's go to a movie sometime. And we have been going to movies about once a week or so for four or five years. Uh, I'm supposed to go to one tomorrow night, actually. And at one of the, before the movie one time, I was bemoaning the fact that I had no footage for the story about Donnie being trapped on the bridge. And I don't want to say more because that, that was one of the best punchlines in terms of visual in the movie. Yeah. Um, and he said, well, you know, I could draw something like that because he's a, he's a wonderful illustrator and he has worked for years when, even when he started his career in Atlanta as an artist with oil, I mean, with tar on enamel and they they have kind of a, a rusty funky feel to them because they're kind of brownish. And so he did that little illustration and he gave it to me. I said, well, give it to me in three parts so that I could animate it. So it had a front middle and a you know background. And so he did a dozen of those and gave them to me in parts so that there's a slight little bit of animation, but yeah, they've been very popular. They captured the kind of the grittiness and the sweetness of Donnie with the, the way that, you know, he portrays the character and then that technique of, I think it's a perfect embodiment of who Donnie was. Mm-hmm. So I'm glad you so like those. They're, they're very popular. Yeah. I love them. Uh, the, the artwork itself and the, it adds, cause I think they were in, they were in a, a couple scenes, but one scene, it seemed like the, I don't know if you didn't have the person there or what, but yeah, I don't know. It just really added to the, uh, to the movie. And you said yeah, it, yeah. it really did capture the, the feel of the documentary and Donnie. Right, right. So, Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I was very happy with those. Yeah, you mentioned your website tvjerry.com. Uh, so, do you want to give a little background right. of of uh, of what you do? Who the hell TV Jerry is? Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually have been in video since '72. I started uh, working for corporate video, and then I went into educational video, and then I became self-employed in '98, and been producing video of all kind of clients. Circuit City was one of my big ones, but you know what happened to them. 
um, and a number of other clients, lots of other clients for years. And I started this website, tvjerry.com, in 1998, like I said, with Tales from the Grips, and uh, continue to do that. My corporation is TV Jerry. As you saw, the documentary is produced by TV Jerry. So I've you know, been in town a long time. I reviewed, like I said, movies on the CBS affiliate for 14 years and also in the local Style Weekly for 10 years and just picked up reviews again when I started the website. So I'm just known as TV Jerry in town, the guy that does the, the reviews and also uh, has his hands in all kind of crazy art stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just actually looking at some of your reviews right now and uh, I think I agree with them. And they're so. short. Yeah. Well, good. You have good taste. <laughs> well, actually, and as you see, they're short because I started my career, like I said, on television where it's a 30 second review or maybe a two minute review, uh, yeah. depending on the show. So the reviews are all about 250 words, which I think is all most people want to read about a movie or a play anyway. Yeah, uh, I would agree with you. Can't sum it up. Yeah, if you can't sum it up in that length of time, then forget it. So yeah, I also uh, noticed. I think I've seen. Uh, we must see the same movies because uh, all these ones here are, are stuff I went to see recently. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I, well, it's a little it's a little out of date because I didn't get to go to any non festival movies this last week. So I'll catch up on Downton Abbey and Rambo and uh, Ad Astra as soon as yeah. possible. I'm dying to get to some some local movies. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So when you used to do the re- the reviews on, on TV, um, how how did that come about? It's interesting. Um, I was actually a DJ at the campus radio station, like so many of us, um, for four years. And one of the guys I worked with at the station went on to work at that CBS at WTVR as a reporter. And they were looking for a movie reviewer. And he said, Jerry, I know you're really into movies. Why don't you come audition? And I did. And blam, there it was. And next thing you know, I was on TV. Yeah. Now, do you think uh, with the um, with the rise to the Internet, like uh, TV critics kind of became kind of phased out? Well, I'm all critics kind of phased out. <laughs> That's true. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, if it's pretty much just Rotten Tomatoes or, or Metacritic now. But, uh, yeah, to a great extent, I think, you know, there's so many places to get reviews now. It's always a challenge to uh, to find anybody that you go to regularly just because there's so many outlets and it's easy to go to the, the aggregators. Although I do have, you know, regular fans who follow mine and who get the uh, email updates every time I review something just because they like my take. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, myself, I grew up in the eighties and there's something, um, in my opinion to, if you find a critic you like and you know what they like, uh, right, you, right. that's different than like going to a rotten tomatoes where it's just, you know, a plethora of people and who knows right. like what stuff they normally watch or who, how many of them is actually real reviews and uh, you sure. have both yeah. trolls and people that are just, uh, bots that will give, you know, everything a good review. So, uh, yeah, right, right, yeah, yeah. I, I always, I actually always get to my nerves when I see on an ad. It says ninety percent, you know, whatever on Rotten Tomatoes. I was like, who cares? What, what does that even mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, and you see all these, you know, you see it often. I'm when I see those trailers and you see best movie ever, and you have to always look down under the lower right to see who it was. And it's you know something like <laughs> Joe Blow's website. It's like okay, well that's really impressive. You know, if it's not Variety or Time or. New York Times or something like that. So you see that more and more where these random websites are suddenly being quoted as, you know, as an important site, which is good for them, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I know from, uh, you know, doing, uh, we, we do the podcast, I do a podcast and then, uh, Jason Minton does our written reviews for horror movies. And I, right. you know, through the years I've noticed 
and obviously people have different tastes and everything. But I have noticed there's a lot of uh, horror, especially in the horror world, because that's what I follow, is that um, there's a lot of people who say everything is great, and I'm pretty sure it's so they can keep getting free screeners. Because yeah, not yeah, everything, I know not everything is great. <laughs> no, well, now, you know, speaking of that, we're getting off, my, my favorite all-time, one of my favorite all-time movies, when people ask me this, and definitely my favorite all-time horror movie is the original Texas Chainsaw. Mm-hmm. which still holds up, still a great movie. But and see what you think about this. I love the classics like that. And I like, like, Crawl this year about the alligators. Yeah, I like that. I love that because it was a good old, you know, I like a maniac with a machete. I don't like the Babadook and uh, Midsummer and it's, it. what was the, um, some of those others that are kind of creepy, but they're not mm-hmm. really scary. You know, those just don't work for me. What do you think? Um, I actually did like Midsummer, but I I, t- I normally do agree with that because uh, I didn't like his previous movie. Uh, Midsummer worked for me, kind of. It felt like um, uh, The Wicker Man. I don't know, just some reason yeah, that worked. Yeah, yeah. But I do generally agree with that because I was not a huge fan of Babadook or uh, It Follows it or follows, what they call like yeah, post. Yeah. They call it something like post horror, which I don't even understand yeah. what that's supposed to mean. It's still they're still horror. I don't know why they're after horror, but. But yeah, well, maybe, maybe it's because they're not. Far. Maybe it's because they're not any good. <laughs> <laughs> right. Think, it's after it, the horror movies high heyday, and now this is the crap that's coming out. Now. <laughs> yeah. But there are a lot of cool ones. Uh, a lot of like uh, independent stuff that um, like right, Terrifier right. a couple years ago. I don't know if you got to see Terrifier. Uh, I really I liked it. It's it definitely has a throwback slasher feel. To, it's to me when I explain it, it's like an eighty slasher movie. If they had, right. if they didn't have anyone to like a censor the censor the gore, so it's like an all-out well, 80s century movie. Well, have you seen Slasher on Netflix? I have not. Oh my god! Three seasons. Every season's a different. It's kind of like American Horror Story, which, by the way, this season is 1984 slasher yeah. horror film. But um, it's three different seasons, and each season is a totally different story. Of and every episode has at least one hideous, brutal, brilliant murder in it. So if you like those kind of movies, which I do, it's just delicious. And my husband thinks I'm crazy because I'll watch one of those. I'll get stoned and watch one of those at 11 o'clock at night before I go to bed. And, I'll, you know, some guy's face is being smushed into a blender until he's blended into nothingness. And I'll get up and go to bed and take a, you know, fall asleep, yeah. no nightmares. So, um, so that yeah, definitely check out Slasher. It's one of my favorite. Uh, it's my favorite Slasher thing on TV right now. All right, yeah, I'm definitely a check. Yeah, I don't ever have a problem with the uh, horror movies. I've been watching them since I was a little kid. My mom used to take yeah. a single mom, and so she would take my my older brother. He's nine years older, but take him and his friends to the drive-in instead of getting a uh, babysitter. She'd take me along. So uh, I was been watching them since I was like six. So I think I'm probably desensitized. But I think uh, I you really twi- you really twisted me, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> So when Spider Mites of Jesus, the Dirt Women documentary, when it, it eventually comes out on um, a DVD, Blu-ray, uh, do, you, do you know yet like what kind of specials you want on there? Uh, no, I don't. I have. A, I'm just finishing up these festivals, and then I'm actually throwing myself a big 70th birthday retirement party. By the way, I'm 69, which is the perfect age to be out promoting Dirt Woman. <laughs> it's very and, true. Um, and so I'm, I'm going to plan on that, and then I'm going to really concentrate on seeing i actually have a, a phone interview coming up soon with um with a potential distributor so all that will is in the works so yeah i don't know so i don't know exactly when this will air but uh 
if people, one thing they can do, the, the website, which we haven't mentioned, is dirtwomandoc, as in documentary.com, dirtwomandoc.com. And there is an update page where you can read about what's been happening. And you can sign up for emails, and I promise it won't be blasted with emails. It's only when there's news. So if somebody really wants to know when it's coming out, they can sign up for that. And interesting, brings up an interesting point. I wanted to use dirtwoman.com, obviously, because that would be the logical site. Well, I looked it up, and if you look it up, you'll see it's the site that sells dildos to women, <laughs> which I thought, well, that's kind of a twisted name for a, you know, I mean, if I were yeah. a woman and I would to buy a dildo, I'd maybe like Eve's secret, you know, or my private pleasure, but not Dirt Woman, but so if you go to DirtWoman.com, you're going to get a little surprise. Uh, but DirtWomanDoc.com, you'll get lots of information about the documentary, who's in it, and how it was made, and where it's been to festivals and all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of, and I keep that up pretty regularly. Very cool. Yeah, and I'll have the link right on the website so people can click on yeah, it. Yeah, great. And, and I'll actually, yeah, I'll just say I'm, I'm going to post this on there, and you know, once this is up, that'll go on there too. All right, cool. Yeah, so they don't accidentally go to the. If you want to go to Dirt Woman and check out their dildos, by all means, go there. But if not, <laughs> right, right. Dirt Woman, uh, Doc. So uh, I'm gonna let you go so you can get to uh, get to the interview so you can get the uh, the movie out there. But I really enjoyed it, not just because you're here. It was uh, it was a lot of fun and it was very heartfelt. It's uh, it's what I like in a documentary. Terrific. Well, I appreciate it very much. And it was great to talk to you, and uh, I'll, maybe we'll get to meet one day, or maybe you'll get to share it with your friends. Definitely. Yeah, I'd love that. Very good. All right. Well, All right. happy thank you, birthday coming up. Thank you very much, Jerry. Oh, thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. All my high school friends are off in college now. And I get high and watch TV all day. Living in my mother's basement's really not that bad I got everything I need and I don't pay And I never asked to grow up So please don't make me do it I wasn't meant to grow up Don't think I'll make it through it Things have been going south since I hit puberty It looks like growing up is just much for me I was doing fine when I was still a kid swapping baseball cards and playing ball then came my school classes that I couldn't understand and girls who wouldn't notice me at all but I But I say not now No, not right now But when I say I need to get a life I just agree with them But I don't know how No, I don't know Don't make me do it I wasn't meant to 
me.